there are some some framing thoughts for us this morning as we dive into the last two chapters of the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. Some uh, commentaries that I've uh, read would suggest the name Acts of the Spirit of God. Um, some would say the beginnings of the church. Uh, different alternative titles for this for this book that really captures the beginning of the Jesus movement and the spreading um, of the Jesus movement, the gospel, the Jesus story, and what it was like for the early believers um, within the context of Roman occupation. Um, I think an alternative title to this book can also be the book that I always avoid or the book of the holy gut punch. Uh, This book is um, beautiful and challenging for me because um, really it holds holds up for me what I think the the essence of of what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be a Jesus follower. And I always end up asking myself, does my life reflect that? Typically, I think, no, not really. And that is where the gut punch comes in. Um, but, uh, but anyway, the book, uh, is called the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and we're going to be, um, wrapping that up. Uh, of course, um, Luke, uh, Dr. Luke, the doctor, uh, the, the author of the gospel of Luke, um, he is the author of Acts. And so, um, a lot of times, uh, it's actually helpful to think of Acts as the part two to Luke. The gospel of Luke is part one. Acts is part two, and it's really meant to be understood that way, even though it doesn't show up that way in kind of a typical Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts. But actually, it's helpful to read Luke chapter one, Acts chapter two. Um, And so that's helpful to understand. Uh, Two main questions that I, I want us to have on the front of our minds is, what is the Spirit of God doing as we read, and who is God asking to do what? Who is God asking to do what? Um, two helpful questions, I think actually helpful for the whole book of Acts, but again, for the two chapters that we'll be looking at. Um, and uh, just for, for final kind of framing thoughts, Dr. Luke, the author, uh, it's helpful to me to, rem- to remember that there's actually what I'm reading is at, was actually penned by a human being inspired by God, um, inspired by the Jesus story, um, considered himself to be part of the movement. But this this human is writing this down. And so um, that's it's helpful to understand that sometimes I think we can forget that and just sort of imagine the words that we're re- reading as sort of parachuted down from heaven one day, or I don't know, like God having a megaphone from heaven. And, and that, I mean, yes, we believe that the spirit, uh, the, the scriptures were inspired by the spirit of God. Um, and so, uh, of course, but it's, but we often forget, at least I do that, there was there was actually a human hand writing this down, and so with that, um, it's helpful to remember that Luke, Doctor Luke, was writing Acts very much with Jesus in mind, and actually we can see a lot of parallels, especially at the end of at the end of Acts. We can see that you know uh, the the trial of Paul and how Paul ended up in front of the the different councils, and even now kind of going to Rome, um, 
very much a lot of parallels between that and how Jesus went from the garden to the uh, the council in Jerusalem and eventually to the cross is kind of very similar journeys. And that's not coincidence. That's not coincidental. Uh, Dr. Luke wants the readers to, to recall the story of Jesus in his first chapter, the gospel of Luke, um, as we read Acts. So that's, that's helpful to, to know. Another thing that's helpful to remember is that Dr. Luke, he's writing, uh, this book with with um from the margins to the margins that's to say christianity uh when luke is writing is not doesn't exist there is no christianity there's no there's there's no it's just this is the the way right um the it's seen as a sect as like a very fringe movement um and dr luke is writing that way and um and so it's helpful to remember that um you know, sometimes we forget that, and we when we look back and read the Acts, uh, the book the book of Acts, and we kind of assume that that we we just we, we if we're not careful, the assumptions that we make about Christianity that has for all of our living history, Christianity has been the major world religion, the kind of the 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 founding pillars of Western civilization, the United States as we know it has all kind of been founded on, on Christian principles and Christianity and, and this kind of like big institutional thing, but that wasn't in existence before. Uh, and so, especially not in the time of, of Luke's writing and in, in the time of the early church. And so it's just helpful to remember that these people are from the margins. These are an occupied people and Luke is writing to other occupied people and, and really to the world saying this fringe movement, there's something here. Look, look at what we've discovered. Um, eventually, you know, over the course of history, you know, Constantine, it becomes a state religion and that has all sorts of pros and cons to it. And that eventually led to kind of this big, big religion, this big religious tradition, this theological tradition that's influenced so much of society and culture in the in the world. And so that's that's our context. But the context of the early Christians was this fringe movement uh, under the occupation of Rome. This fringe movement within a Jewish kind of culture that was itself occupied by Rome. So Luke is writing from the margins to the margins. And lastly, Luke is writing to prompt the reader to act. Luke is writing about the acts of the early apostles to prompt the reader back then, and I believe to us now, uh, us today, uh, the prompt is to act. And so participation is sort of the goal here. Um, and hopefully that can be front and center as we read. Okay, thank you for understanding uh, my need to frame those thoughts. I'm going to read through um, the uh, text we're going to read together. We're, we're using, we're going to look at, I know we, we I think the, the there are a few other sort of typical translations we use, uh, maybe the ESV, maybe the King James. Um, today, I'd like to invite us to consider reading with me along on the screen to uh, using um, a translation called the easy to read version. It was actually originally um, a translation that was um, meant to be simplified, a simple language uh, meant for actually a prison ministry originally. I've used this version uh, in my years with students um, and I found just my own sort of edification of reading 
it's a fresh reading. It's a way to, it's a fresh way to read it. And it's just very simple. Um, and I think actually uh, the simpler, the more powerful. <laughs> so thanks for bearing with that, with me on that. So here we go. And uh, I trust that God um, is going to bless uh, us as we read uh, the scripture. And then I'm going to just provide some, some final thoughts at the end. So we're just going to enter the journey here together. All right. Chapter 27 starts like this. It was decided that we would sail for Italy. This is Luke writing. An army officer named Julius, who served in the emperor's special army, was put in charge of guarding Paul and some other prisoners on the trip. We got on a ship from the city of Adramidium that was ready to sail to different places in Asia. Aristarchus, a man from Thessalonica in Macedonia, went with us. The next day, we came to the city of Sidon. Julius, the army officer, was very good to Paul and gave him freedom to go visit his friends there, who gave him whatever he needed. We left that city and sailed close to the island of Cyprus because the wind was blowing against us. The wind will be mentioned many times throughout this reading. Pay attention to the wind. The spoiler here is the wind the word for wind is very closely associated with the spirit. And so when we see the wind, I think Dr. Luke is trying to get us to think spirit, the spirit of God. The wind is blowing. The spirit of God is blowing. Jesus himself to Nicodemus, remember, uh, refers to the spirit as the wind, right? The wind blows and we don't know where it comes or where it goes, right? That's the spirit. And so there's a connection there. I think that's intentional. That's where we're going to see. That's why Luke is going to take time to tell us about the direction of the wind many times throughout this. Um, and I think it's, I think, again, it's intentional to get us thinking about the spirit and the movement of the spirit. So we left that city and sailed close to the island of Cyprus because the wind was blowing against us. We went across the sea by Cilicia and Pamphylia. Then we came to the city of Myra in Lycia. There, the army officer found a ship from the city of Alexandria that was going to Italy. So he put us on it. We sailed slowly for many days. It was hard for us to reach the city of Snidus because the wind was blowing against us. We could not go any farther that way. So we sailed by the south side of the island of Crete near Salmone. We sailed along the coast, but the sailing was hard. Then we came to a place called Safe Harbors near the city of Lycia. We had lost much time, and it was now dangerous to sail because it was, because it was already after the Jewish day of fasting. In other words, it was uh, entering the season, the winter season, which was typically a very tumultuous um stormy time, which made sailing hard. So that's the point there. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that there will be a lot of trouble on this trip. In other words, I can see that the weather will be very difficult and will be very hard to sail. The ship, everything in it, and even our lives may be lost. But the captain and the owner of the ship did not agree with Paul. So the army officer accepted what they said instead of believing Paul, who, remember, is a prisoner on this ship, even though he's a prisoner, maybe with some privileges. Um, he's They know that he's a Roman citizen by birth. He's already disclosed that earlier in, in, in his trial. Uh, but yet again, he's just a prisoner. Why would the captain and the owner of the ship listen to this prisoner? 
Also, Paul continues, also that harbor, or sorry, Luke continues writing, also that harbor was not a good place for the ship to stay for the winter. So most of the men decided that we should leave there. They hoped we would reach Phoenix, where the ship could stay for the winter. Phoenix was a city on the island of Crete. It had a harbor that faced southwest and northwest. All right. Then a good wind began to blow from the south. The men on the ship thought, this is the wind we wanted. And now we have it. So they pulled up the anchor. We sailed very close to the island of Crete. But then a very strong wind called the Northeaster came from across the island. This wind took the ship and carried it away. The ship could not sail against the wind. So we stopped trying and let the wind blow us. (laughs) Without getting too much into that line, again, the wind, I believe, is Dr. Luke's way of saying, pay attention. This, This is the spirit of God in movement. This is the spirit of God moving us. And so the ship could not sail against the wind or against the spirit or against what God was doing. So we stopped trying and let the wind or the spirit blow us. I just think that's, you know, that's, that's just an interesting thing to think about. Uh, how do we live our lives? Do we live our lives trying to sail against the movement of God or do we live our lives trying to um, yield and, and allow the wind to blow us, the spirit of God to blow us? We went below a small island named Kauda. With the island protecting us from the wind, we were able to bring in the lifeboat, but it was very hard to do. After the men brought the lifeboat in, they tied ropes around the ship to hold it together. The men were afraid that the ship would hit the sandbanks of Sirtis, so they lowered the sail and let the wind carry the ship. The next day, the storm was blowing against us so hard that the men threw some things out of the ship. A day later, they threw out the ship's equipment. I mean, desperation, right? They are just packing and getting it off. For many days, we could not see the sun or the stars. The storm was very bad. We lost all hope of staying alive. We thought we would die. They thought they would die. Desperate times. The men did not eat for a long time. And it occurs to me that these men, of probably of different religious traditions at the time, they I think the the, the response to fasting or um, that kind of ascetic response of okay, th- we are desperate. Uh, obviously, the gods are doing something. It re- reminds me of this the the story of Jonah, which I think is also we are meant to kind of be thinking about. The, the famous shipwrecks and, and sea, sea stories of the Bible, of the scriptures. Um, I think not everyone worshiped Jesus on that ship, but I think all of them were trying to discern what are the gods doing right now? And let's fast to try to get on the side of the gods. <laughs> um, and so the men did not eat for a long time. Then one day, Paul stood up before them and said, Paul has a lot of chutzpah, and he is a prisoner. And again, I think he's just recognizing um, his his opportunity here. Like Alan said last week, Paul is productive always in the midst of um, of great um, adversity. Uh, and so anyway, the, the one day, Paul stood up before them and said, men, I told you not to leave Crete. You should have listened to me. I don't recommend that strategy in most 
arguments in life, telling the other person, I told you so, is probably not the best move, but Paul continues, you should have listened to me, then you would not have all this trouble and loss. But now I tell you, be happy. None of you will die, but the ship will be lost. Last night, an angel came to me from God, the God I worship and belong to. The angel said, Paul, don't be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. And God has given you this promise. He will save the lives of all those sailing with you. So men, there is nothing to worry about. I trust God and I am sure everything will happen just as his angel told me. But we will crash on an island. Very interesting. I think Paul had a lot of experience with ships and sailing, obviously, at this point. And so he could probably still read the weather, read the signs. Hey, this this ship is going to crash. Eventually, we're close to the island. Um, but I love also how Paul takes this opportunity to share uh, daringly um, and try to give, Try he, he's trying to define for everyone who's in a desperate state of mind, hey, this is what's going on. Listen to me. Um, and uh, that line that says, uh, Paul, don't be afraid. You must stand before Caesar is really harkens back to a vision that Paul had. I think a few visions that Paul had along the trial um, that he understood that he needed to go to Rome. Um, many people in his in his entourage said, no, you can't go to Rome. That's the worst move ever. Right. That's not strategic. But Paul was 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 kind of locked on to a bigger vision and was willing to um, go to Rome where he knew that things would not go well for him, um, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the story of Jesus, getting to the center of the earth um, and meant in some ways that the center of power, the center of culture, uh, and in other ways to the ends of the earth, right? From Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Um, Paul knew that, that he needed to go to Rome that that was the arena that he needed to enter, that that would mean um, generations upon generations of people would get to hear and respond to the gospel. And so and so, I just love how Paul, even in this moment, is, is kind of latching on, staying true to this sense of mission that he has. So Dr. Luke continues. On the 14th night, we were still being blown around in the Adriatic Sea. The sailors thought we were close to land. They threw a rope into the water with a weight on the end of it. They found that the water was 120 feet deep. They went a little a little farther and threw the rope in again. It was 90 feet deep, uh, indication that they're um, nearing land. The sailors were afraid that we would hit the rocks, so they threw four anchors into the water. Then they prayed for daylight to come. Again, whatever gods they were praying to, they were they knew that something cosmic was happening. And so they were trying to like get on the right side of things uh, with their fasting and with their prayers. Some of the sailors wanted to leave the ship and they lowered the lifeboat to the water. They wanted the other men to think that they were throwing more anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul told the army officer, Julius, um, with whom he had apparently some favor, and the other soldiers, if these men do not stay in the ship, you will lose all hope of survival. So the soldiers cut the ropes and let the lifeboat fall into the water so that the men could not escape that way and be devious that way. Just before dawn, Paul began persuading all the people to eat something. He said, for the past two weeks, you have been waiting and watching. You have not eaten for 14 days. Now I beg you to eat something. You need it to stay alive. None of you will lose even one hair off your heads. 
After he said this, Paul took some bread and thanked God for it before all of them. He broke off a piece and began eating. All the men felt better and started eating too. There were 276 people on the ship. It's a big group. We ate all we wanted. Then we began making the ship lighter by throwing the grain into the sea. Interesting details here. Uh, if you're thinking about, if this makes you think about um, a few things, the Last Supper, remember Dr. Luke is trying to draw parallels between Paul's story and the, and the story of Jesus. And um, just like Jesus broke uh, bread, and that was kind of the sign uh, that just throughout the the, the gospels that the, that Jesus is present. Um, uh, that's the way that the um, the the disciples on the road of Damascus recognized Jesus, right by by the breaking of bread. So so all of that is meant to be elicited in our minds. And so here's Paul, kind of. Uh, it's almost like he's he's breaking bread, and 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 even with him and his group, including Dr. Luke, I wonder if they were uh, mindful of that and saying, "Hey, this this is you know all of us all of us here on the ship are are desperate and praying to our gods." So we're going to do the same. We're going to break our bread and 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 invoke the presence of Jesus and and just remind people that hey Jesus, even though you don't know what we're talking about, Jesus is present, and that was our way. And and almost um, recalls too. It's like a callback to when Jesus uh, um, fed the five thousand. Uh, that the the one miracle that's repeated in each gospel. Um, that that phrase, he broke off a piece and began eating and all the men felt better and started eating too. And we ate all we wanted. There was somehow more than enough food to go around. Um, just an interesting callbacks. Um, <laughs> little details, I think, to pull back and, and just spend a long time just savoring and thinking about. But Dr. Luke is intentionally trying to evoke all these things um, for us so that we think about Jesus as we read about Paul. Um, so we continue. When daylight came, the sailors saw land, but they did not know what land it was. What country is this? Where are we? Right. Um, but they know that they they saw land. They saw a bay with a beach and wanted to sail the ship to the beach if they could. So they cut the ropes to the anchors and left the anchors in the sea. At the same time, they untied. At the same time, they untied the ropes that were holding the rudders. Then they raised the front sail into the wind and sailed toward the beach. But the ship hit a sandbank. The front of the ship stuck there and could not move. Then the big waves began to break the back of the ship to pieces. And there it is, right? Paul's vision, Paul's um, uh, prediction is becoming true. The, 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 the ship is being destroyed. The soldiers decided to kill the prisoners so that none of the prisoners could swim away and escape. But Julius, the army officer, wanted to let Paul live. So he did not allow the soldiers to kill the prisoners. He told the people who, who could swim to jump into the water and swim to the land. The others used wooden boards or pieces of the ship. And this is how all the people went safely to land. Again, another callback, right, to um, the way Jesus, the final days of Jesus, the, the, the centurion who kneels before the cross of Jesus says and said, surely this was a son of God. Surely this was a righteous man, right? We, um, <laughs> is Julius the same guy? I don't think so, but. Um, but I, whether he is or he isn't, the point is um, 
we are to remember the story of Jesus as we read uh, about Paul right now. And um, here is another centurion who, for whatever reason, however way, is, is it um, has has found or, or Paul has found favor with the centurion. It's just meant another. It's another point of sort of connection between the the story of Paul and the story of Jesus. Um, a call, right? Uh, from Dr. Luke to say that those that follow Jesus should reflect Jesus in their life. The life of the followers of Jesus should make other people think about and remember the story of Jesus. Um, Do our lives reflect or call back to the way that Jesus lived um, on this earth? Um, Powerful, powerful question uh, for reflection. We continue. When we were safe on land, we learned that the island was called Malta. The people who lived there were very good to us. It was raining and very cold, so they built a fire and welcomed all of us. Paul gathered a pile of sticks for the fire. He was putting the sticks on the fire, and a poisonous snake came out because of the heat and bit him on the hand. When the people living on the island saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said, This man must be a murderer. He did not die in the sea, but justice, the God of justice. Uh, and actually they were referring to their own God, justice, but the sense of justice does not want him to live clearly. Otherwise, why would the, the snake bite him? But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was not hurt. And the people thought he would swell up or fall down dead. They, they've seen people bit before and they knew what was going to happen. So they waited and watched for him to puff up and swell up and die. Uh, but nothing bad happened to, to Paul. So they changed their opinion and said, he is a God. Wow. Talk about whiplash, right? He's a murderer. No, wait, he's a God. Um, similar to what people said about Jesus, right? Um, he's a blasphemer. No, he's he's a God. Look at all the miracles he does. Interesting, right? There were some fields around that same area. They were owned by a man named Publius, the most important Roman official on the island. He welcomed us into his home and was very good to us. We stayed in his house for three days. Publius's father was very sick. He had a fever and dysentery, but Paul went to him and prayed for him. He laid his hands on the man and healed him. After this happened, all the other sick people on the island came to Paul and he healed them too. Again, thinking about Jesus, I'm thinking about um, uh, that centurion that uh, Jesus healed his servant from a distance and said, uh, Lord, I'm not worthy worthy that you might come into my house. Just say my servant is healed and he will be healed. Uh, I'm thinking about all the other encounters of, uh, of that Jesus had with sick people and all the times that people caught wind of, caught word of uh, Jesus healing and just the whole town went out and, and was looking for healing. I mean, just very, very similar, very similar. And Paul healed them too. The people on the island gave us many honors, and after we had been there three months and were ready to leave, they provided us everything we needed for our trip. Uh, The value of hospitality in and throughout uh, these ancient cultures is amazing. We got on a ship from Alexandria that had stayed on the island of Malta during the winter. On the front of the ship was a sign for the twin gods. We stopped at the city of Syracuse. We stayed there three days and left. We came to the city of Regium. That the next day, a wind began to blow from the southwest, so we were able to leave. A day later, we came to the city of Putioli. We found some believers there who asked us to stay with them a week. Finally, we came to Rome. 
the brothers and sisters in Rome heard about us and came out to meet us at the market of Apius and at the three inns, two different cities that were getting closer and closer to Rome. When Paul saw these believers, he thanked God and felt encouraged. When we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to live alone, but a soldier stayed with him to guard him. He was on house arrest. Three days later, Paul sent Paul sent for some of the most important Jews. Again, kind of following his uh, his pattern of going to different cities and first going to the temple and connecting with the Jewish leadership. Um, very, very um, interesting. Uh, and he was just looking to to go to the influencers, the, the 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 gatekeepers of that community, to tell them about Jesus and about the Jesus story. When they came together, he said, my brothers, I have done nothing against uh, our people or against the customs of our fathers, but I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They asked me many questions, but they could not find any reason why I should be put to death. So they wanted to let me go free. But the Jews there did not want that. So I had I had to ask to come to Rome to have my trial before Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. That doesn't mean I'm accusing my people of doing anything wrong. That is why I wanted to see you and talk with you. I am bound with this chain because I believe in the hope of Israel. That's to say, I'm, I, I knew that I needed to go to Rome and here I am. And it's not because I'm accusing people of sending me to Rome or banishing me to Rome. Paul saying, I know what I did when I, I appealed to Caesar because I'm, I'm a Roman citizen by birth. <clears throat> I knew that I needed to come to Rome to share the Jesus story here. And that last line, I am bound with this chain because I believe in the hope of Israel. In other words, Paul is saying to his Jewish brothers in Rome, I am here in shackles, arrested because I believe in Jesus. Jesus is the hope of Israel. The resurrection of Jesus is the hope of Israel. Paul is always trying to connect those two to show them that this sect called the way is not counter to um, to their belief, but actually the fulfillment of all the promises that the the people of, of Israel were 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 waiting on and and, and hoping in. And so Paul is saying, my brothers, I am here in Rome to be able to share this story with you. It's almost like Paul is saying, you might think that I'm here in Rome to to, to get my freedom, but no, no, I'm here in Rome for this very, very moment to be able to talk to you and tell you about the story of Jesus. Powerful, powerful. The Jews answered Paul, we have received no letters from Judea about you. None of our Jewish brothers who have traveled from there brought news about you or told us anything bad about you. We want to hear your ideas. We know that people everywhere are speaking against this new group. What an amazing opportunity. They're saying, hey, Paul, it's it's okay. We're here. We want to hear you. Um, what an opportunity for, for Paul. Paul and the Jews then chose a day for a meeting. And on that day, many more of these Jews met with Paul at his house. He spoke to them all day long, explaining God's kingdom to them. How many times had he done that before, right? He used the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets to persuade them to believe in Jesus. Some of the Jews believed what he said, but others did not believe. Again, we've seen that before. Um, they had an argument among themselves and were ready to leave. But Paul said one more thing to them. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. He said, go to this people and tell them, you will listen and you will hear, but you will not understand. You will look and you will see, but you will not understand what you see. Yes, the minds of these people are now closed. They have ears, but they don't listen. They have eyes, but they refuse to see. If their minds were not closed, they might see with their eyes. 
They might hear with their ears. They might understand with their minds. Then they might turn back to me and be healed. I want you Jews to know, Paul says, that God has sent his salvation to the non-Jewish people. They will listen. And the final words of Acts, Paul stayed two full years in his own rented house. He welcomed all the people who came and visited him. He told them about God's kingdom and taught them about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was very bold and no one tried to stop him from speaking. I began, thank you for coming with me on that journey. Uh, and I'm, I want to close with these last two uh, thoughts. I began with these framing questions. What is the spirit doing and who is God asking to do what? And the first question, what is the spirit doing? Three things I want to put before you. The, the spirit of God is bringing the Jesus story to Rome, to the center of the earth and to the ends of the earth. Again, Rome at the time was the center of the earth, the center of, of power, the center of influence, the center of culture. Um, Paul would often do that where he, um, wherever he went, he would show up and want to go to the influencers of the culture of that city so that the the, the story of Jesus could resonate out. Uh, and in other ways, uh, the Rome was the ends of the earth. Uh, Jesus said, as he was ascending, go and um and make disciples of all nations and and he talked about you know going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the the ends of the earth um and so in some ways Rome uh culturally represented the ends of the earth the boundaries of what the Jewish people and the the disciples of Jesus could could imagine about geography about well not so much geography but about culture and about identity and about kind of religious tradition and and their theology rome was was the the, the bounds of it they, they couldn't really understand that that we we're the chosen people and and you're asking us to invite those people on the ends on the boundaries of all that we've ever assumed to be you know to, to be right you're asking us to to welcome them into this this story this story of god god's kingdom um, and and of course, the, the answer of Jesus is yes, yes, they are invited too. And so that's one of the things that the Spirit of God is doing. I think maybe the, the, the most overarching thing. Uh, the second thing that the Spirit is doing is redefining the notions of success and failure. Uh, one commentary I read um, talked about how the Acts is about um, uh, the people learning that um God's kingdom is not about power over people, but about power for people. Um, the the disciples, as Jesus is ascending, are told to wait in Jerusalem until they are clothed with power. And again, it's not power over; it's not power to then then to then um, get the political uh, clout and and regain the political power that they once had. Right, that the nation of Israel. No, no, no. It was it was power to go and serve. Power to go and and be um, the bearers of good news. Power to go and share and redistribute wealth. Power for people and um, how that. <laughs> that life of of sharing out power and sharing resources and sharing influence and sharing the stage actually in some ways diminishes your own power in some ways because you're 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 giving up a lot of uh what otherwise if you hold on to you can kind of hold over people but 
but the the spirit of God is showing us that actually in God's kingdom, the the worldly uh, definition of success, which is power, influence, and money, and being on top of people, actually no, that's the failure. That, that the true success in God's kingdom is to to serve and to be humble and to um, and to share the table and to share resources. I love that. Um, we see Jesus at the end of his life on a cross where all of his disciples, almost all of them had escaped. And it's almost, you know, he had the least successful ministry ever. No one was showing up anymore. But we know that the cross of Jesus is the victory of heaven uh, and the resurrection of Jesus is the victory of heaven, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And we know that um, that actually in the kingdom in, in God's story, in the kingdom of God, uh, that um, that type of sacrifice is actually the key to success. And so we see Paul here going to Rome to be jailed and finish his days there. Uh, many people said, no, that's a failure. That's not what we want to do. That's a that's a losing move. And Paul said, no, that is a winning move because that will allow me to go and share the Jesus story at the center at, of power and to really spread the gospel of Jesus. And so we see the redefinition of our notions of success and failure. That's what the spirit is doing. And lastly, the spirit is reshaping our boundaries of who gets in and who is kept out. You know, once I was uh, I was with a a teacher who shared um, uh, he was telling us about um, the Last Supper and um, where the disciples would have been seated, including Judas would have been at the table and where Judas would have been. And actually, that uh, without getting too too much into it, Judas arguably could have had the position of honor, the place of honor at that table next to Jesus. And um, and so that's how Jesus was able to to kind of talk to him. And we we sort of get a, a, a view into that, what was happening, what was being whispered, right, um, in the Gospel of John, especially. Um, but anyway, the 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 teacher was was sharing that whole scene with us, and and we were just kind of blown back. And and um, finally, after that, we we were we were kind of mingling, getting ready for the next uh, event. And someone, this big kind of, I think he was an like an ex army guy because he had he always had these army things on. He was big and kind of like big and tough, great guy, but just you know that kind of like um, very you know, very big, muscular built and kind of just tough how he how he talked. And he went to the professor and he said, hey, do you think Judas got to heaven? Do you think Judas, you said that he was in the place of honor. Do you think he, he got to heaven? And he just kind of stood there. And all of us heard the question and we were like, oh my gosh, how is this, like, how is this professor going to answer this? Like, this is, this is a tough one. Um, and the professor just calmly said, you know, I hope Judas got into heaven. Because if Judas gets in, that means I have a shot. And he just walked away, totally diffused the situation. It was amazing. And I I tell that story because I think it's just a, uh, it just makes me think of this notion of who gets in and who gets kept out. Uh, and I think the spirit of God in Acts is reshaping those boundaries, reshaping our understanding of who gets in and who gets kept out and actually is expanding the circle. So where previously many people got kept out and not a lot of people got in, so to speak, 
we see as the book of Acts shows how how the Gentiles are being welcomed. And Peter was asked to go to uh, um, Roman officials' houses. And and we see how the boundaries are expanded and more and more people are actually being let in so that actually the idea of keeping people out of the kingdom of God and people keeping people out of the story of Jesus actually is heretical. And how actually the, the story of Jesus is about welcoming people in. And the spirit of God is redefining and reshaping our boundaries of who gets in and who gets out. I love that. Challenging to live out, but I love that. And who is God asking to do what? Of course, we saw Paul and the crew were essentially asked to yield to the wind, quite literally, right? To, to let the wind blow and let the ship go. Uh, God is asking the Jews in Rome through Paul uh, to yield to a bigger story, um, right? And we see that that in the final quote from Isaiah that Paul, that Luke um, puts in there about that. That's what Paul would have said. Um, we see that they're being asked to, to um, reimagine this bigger story, bigger than they could ever dream of. And lastly, I think God is asking us to yield to the Spirit's movement today. And so I'll leave you with these two questions. I'm not going to offer any answers, but I think it's something for um, each of us to walk away with uh, rolling around in our heads. And the questions are, what do we need to hear with new ears and see with new eyes? And who can we welcome in that we've assumed out? Who can we welcome in that we've assumed have been out? And so I'll leave us with that. Thank you um, for bearing with me. And uh, I pray that God uh, would bless each of us um, in this next week to be able to apply uh, all that the Spirit is teaching us to be able to faithfully and boldly and graciously and gently follow Jesus um, everywhere we go, everywhere the, everywhere the Spirit, the wind of the Spirit blows us. Amen.